Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fortune's Wheelhouse. Today, we will be doing the first of our planetary series, and we'll be starting with the moon. We would like to begin with the Orphic Hymn, Invocation of the Moon, which both of us use in our planetary rites. I'll be reading the Greek version, and Mel will be reading the English version. We will alternate lines, so you can sort of hear how it translates from line to line. And her translation that she'll be using is the Apostolos Athanasakis translation, highly recommended. Also good is the Patrick Dunn version, which I'm actually using the Greek from. And there is also the the well-known Victorian Thomas Taylor translation. If you want it to rhyme. That's if you, you want it to it. rhyme some. <laughs> <laughs> and sound all magical and shit. <laughs> it sounds magical anyway, it though. It does, no I, matter which version you I use. I love these hymns. I really do. All right. So here we go. It's going to be, um, in, in particular, they use for the hymns to the moon, they specifically use the hymn to Selene, who is one version of the moon goddess. Um, do you use number nine? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's just make sure. Yep. And it, and I think it just says that the fumigation should be aromatic. It I always use white sage because I figured that's an sage? aromatic. It says aromatic yeah. herbs, so yeah. I use white sage. Cause that's it, aromatic. White sage seems very lunar to me with its silvery leaves, mm-hmm. and it's very aromatic. So that makes sense. And it's hmm. easy because I always have some yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. And um, you don't need a charcoal to get a charcoal going. <laughs> true. Okay. Cluthi thea basilea faesphore dia selene. Hearken, O divine queen, light bringing and splendid Selene. Tauro keros mene, nuctidrome eurofoiti. Bullhorned moon, traversing the air in a race with night. Ennuchie daiduche coreo asteremene. Nocturnal, torch bearing, maiden of fair stars, moon. Auxomene kai lepomene, feliste kai arzen. Waxing and waning, feminine and masculine. Alge terra Philippe, cronume ter verecarpe. Glittering lover of horses, mother of time, bearer of fruit. Electris barithume catelgastera lochee. Amber colored brooding, shining in the night. Pander kesfila grupne kaloisas troisi brusa. All seeing, vigilant, surrounded by beautiful stars. Hesuchie chairusa kaeo frone olbiomoiro. You delight in quiet and in the richness of the night. Lampetie charidoti telesphore nuctosagalma. Shining in the night like a jewel, you grant fulfillment and favor. Astrarche tanupep lelicodrome pansofecure. Long cloaked marshal of the stars, wise maiden whose motion is circular. Elthemachaere ofrone astere fenge trisoi. Come, blessed and gentle lady of the stars, in three ways. Lampomene sozusa neus hicatasseocure. Shine your redeeming light upon your new initiates. <laughs> Lovely. I love that one. It's beautiful. Yeah. So the moon. Hmm. What can we say? We'll be talking about the priestess or the high priestess card who is associated with the moon, confusing generations of tarot readers because Mm -hmm. the moon is actually the moon card is associated with Pisces. 
So we'll be talking about the high priestess and the sign that she rules cancer, which is associated with the chariot. And then we'll be talking after that about the decanic minors. There are five of them, which are ruled by the moon as face ruler, meaning the six of discs or pentacles in the second decan of Taurus, the four of cups in the third decan of Cancer, the two of swords in the first decan of Libra, the seven of swords in the third decan of Aquarius, and the nine of wands in the middle, the second decan of Sagittarius. Then, of course, we should also talk about the court card associated with the Cancer cards would specifically be the Queen of Cups, and then the cards that are associated with the ninth Sephira Yesod, so meaning the nine cards. And don't forget oh, right. the three cards associated with Cancer, the uh, two, three, and four of cups. Of course, right. Right, so we have quite a few of cards to um, ruminate upon. And, um, it's a good word. Yes, for the in moon, fact, isn't it? it is. It's something <laughs> that I was actually thinking a great deal about on the ride here, and I'll talk more about it when we talk about the qualities of the moon. The The priestess of the silver star is the high priestess, and I guess by silver star, I guess they mean the moon. Perhaps. I don't know, or maybe they just mean silver stars generally. The uh, the hermetic title of the chariot is the child of the power of the waters. We'll be talking about the waters a lot. And then the the titles of the minor cards associated with the moon are success, luxury, peace, futility, and strength. So very interesting array of qualities there. All right. So shall we talk a little bit about the astronomy and astrology of the moon? Sure. It's interesting that they considered the moon a wanderer, a planet like the others, quicker than all the rest. Because the moon's really unique because, yeah. um, you know, lots of other planets in our solar system have moons, but none of them are as big, relatively speaking, in terms of how size wise, how it relates to the planet that it orbits around. And it's said in that sense that Earth and moon should really be a double planetary system and the moon's the only one that we include in our seven um classical planets so we have the moon in its rotation around the earth and then the earth and moon jointly rotating around the sun right so the moon is all about motion and change and the idea that also it's just a coincidence that the moon and sun happen to appear to be about the same size in our sky yeah just a fluke of the distances involved. Of course, the moon isn't always as big, but, you know, the full moon and the sun appear to be about the same, which, of course, leads to the eclipse phenomenon, which the ancients were obsessed with, naturally. That that's change and that swiftness are qualities which are always ascribed to the moon. Not only the fact that she's always in motion quicker than anything else, but the fact that her very shape changes uh, from night right. to night. Yeah, she's really interesting too because she's so changeable and yet she's so steady. She's right. always there. She's this figure that we can measure time by. So right. she's both changeable and stable at the same time. Right. Her cycle is predictable. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew name for the moon, well, there's a couple. Sahar is one of the names, but 
um, the one that is used, I believe, in astrology is Levana, which means just white. You know, Levan mm. means white, the white one. It's the white and shining one. And in Arabic, it's known as Al-Kamar, the moon. So changeability, swiftness. What else? Polarities, Polarity. light and dark because of its phases. You see the light side and the dark portions. Oh, yeah. And also because of that symmetry between the moon and the sun, that I think is probably what caused people to read a gender dynamic into it as well and associate the sun with male figures and the moon with female figures. It's not universal. Sometimes it's the other way around. But in the Western European sort of um, mythological tradition, which is so patriarchal, there is this sort of idea of the sun is steady, uh, logical, hot and dry, and the moon is cold and moist and fluctuating and insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Loony. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the great gifts of living in, in, in a less oppressive age in terms of those gender dynamics is that we can reclaim the moon's power as women and see that as a source of fertility, potential, and intuition rather than just lunacy. And Speaking of the connection with women, you can't help but mention the 28-day orbit mirroring the 28-29-day orbit mirroring the menstrual cycle. Yes. And it affects yes. the tides as well. And it makes you wonder also when people, you know, lived more outside lives if their cycles were, you know, really much more closely synced to the moon. Do you use mansions of the moon at all, by the way? Not very much. I don't either. In the Orphic Hymn, she's male and female. Right, masculine you know, and feminine. Waxing and waning. Yep. It makes a little bit of sense that she's traditionally thought of as feminine because of the reflected light aspect, reflecting yeah. the sun. Yeah. Being like the, the twin of the sun or the sibling or partner of the sun. Yeah, which also kind of makes the, sense in terms of her qualities of, you know, illusion, glamour, changing things. And then the Magic. Apollo and Artemis. Apollo you know, and Artemis. Solar yeah. and lunar twins. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Let's do um, astrology first and then gods and goddesses. The moon means so many different things, right? I know. And it's nice that people actually now often know their moon sign as well as their sun sign and and their rising sign. But the moon one is the one you wouldn't necessarily guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little more... Hidden. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing too is like if you don't know what time you're born, that's the one thing that might change is your ascendant. Well, your ascendant, your ascendant and your your moon sign are the two things that might change. But um, yeah. Although the moon sign can only be one of two, right? At most, right? Yeah. But you, you have to but, figure yeah. out which one it is. Yeah, because the moon changes signs every two and a little days. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about the moon in astrology is because it's moving so quickly through the signs. Mm -hmm. It's aspecting planets more often than anything else. Right, which is why we are always checking the condition of the moon for any kind of astrological or electional work. It's going to be making more aspects than anything else, but it's not going to last long. Even if it's something you're not too crazy about, it's moving on. Right. So we have to be, you know, unusually sensitive to where it's applying and separating from mm -hmm. because it's always on the move. And also when it's not making an aspect as an avoid of course moon, 
and a moon that is making no more aspects before moving into the next sign, that's often considered a poor time for doing anything. Unless it's something that you don't want to do or don't want to happen. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So if we had to describe what moon speaks to in a person's chart, how would you do that? Personality, the emotions, of course. Right. Where you find your safety and security, what you default Mm -hmm. to, your habits. Your feelings, your memories, the subconscious and, you know, the mass consciousness, the people, the public. It may have to do with your mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The human memory bank, your soul. Uh, Your home. Yes, your home, definitely. And the the changes of daily life, the day-to-day. Your routines. Yeah. Absolutely. And traditionally, I think it has something to do with uh, your diet as well, what you eat, Yeah, it has a lot to do with food. Yeah. Yeah, the moon and the body. It has a lot to do with the body, the things in the body that happen all on their own. (laughs) Right. The automatic processes, as well as all of the um, not red fluids of the body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The white fluids and the clear fluids, the serums. Well, some of the red fluids Mm. as well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just like the moon reflects the sun's light, the moon should reflect your true self. So if you think of the sun as your true self, the moon as, you know, the reflection of that in your personality, your personality should reflect your true self on some level. Mm. Well, I mean, how do you contrast that though with the true self expressed by the sun? I think the moon is the reflection of that. So it's the light of yourself as you put it out in your personality. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the way you take in and experience the world. Um, as opposed to the way you act upon the world. For the two of us, both as Aquarius moons, we definitely experience the world in a particular way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and express our personalities in a particular mm, way. Mm, yeah. That need for, um, for independence and not being tied down. When I think about the moon too, I think about being receptive. And I think about instinct and intuition. Absolutely. Uh, and this is something we'll, this is really a theme we'll talk about with the priestess card, but the things you know without having to learn them or, mm. you know, be taught them. It's interesting too, like the moon and its relationship to the body and food. So the sun being like the source of all life, but the moon being the sustainer of life, the fruitfulness of life, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a relationship there. Yeah, there are definitely generative qualities that are specific to the moon, as well as generative qualities that are specific to the sun. Oh, and also the way the moon governs mood and emotion, because mood is so changeable. If you ever really track the changes in your mood over the course of a day, there's there's so many, so many more than, you know, at the end of the day, you might say you had a good day or a bad day, but you've probably had, you know, a dozen moods. Yes. <laughs> you've probably had good moments and bad moments. They come and go, just like the moon. Yeah, the moon, I've I've read that it rules the environment, your environment and how you experience your environment. And that, that makes, makes sense, sense because you react to your environment and the things that happen and that determines your mood. I think action versus reaction is one way to look at that sun versus moon mm. dichotomy. Something else about the moon too is its magnetism. So it's how... It can be how popular you are, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you're seen. Yeah, your public face. Yeah. It can yeah. absolutely reflect that. Um, it creates fame. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, astrologically, it allows you to create an D- image. To deal with the public in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you are doing a magical working that where you want to gain publicity and have your reputation flourish, then you really want the moon to be in good condition. Mm. And it definitely has something to do with parents, usually the mother, but not always. It not can always. be the, nur- the nurturing parent. <laughs> right. It has to do with being fed and nurtured. And then there's that quality of the moon that's threefold, which we hear about mm. all the time. Well, we sometimes hear about it as being fourfold, you know, new, waxing, full, and waning. But in terms of the threefold nature of the moon, that's often compared to the three stages of womanhood as maiden, mother, and crone. It's interesting. It sort of reminds me, you know, the, the correlation of the, uh, of those three stages of life to the moon reminds me of the, the riddle of the Sphinx. Yeah. Walks on four legs, walks on two legs, walks on three legs. In the evening, right. Walks on four and legs. And walks the on no legs. <laughs> walks on no legs. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> the the glyph of the moon. So if you look at all of the astrological glyphs of the planets, they all have something to say. And if you look at the one for the moon, well, duh, it's a crescent, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at that crescent as a cup, and mm. that really speaks to the priestess as you see in the priestess card in the Thoth version, she's she is the cup. She's this mm-hmm. cup of light, you know, mm-hmm. holding. Because of that watery association of the moon, something, some vessel must contain it. Right. And, of course, there's the moon's um, relationship to waters generally. The idea that cancer, first of all, is a water sign, but also the moon's relationship with the tides and the oceans and all of the waters all of the, the waters world. yeah yeah the waters of the world and the crescent too it's the shape of horns like the the bull which is the uh, exaltation of the moon yes absolutely and i think that there's a sort of a connection between um the bull or the cow as you know milk giving mother and the moon the moon and milk are often associated with one another and that cup shape too it's the so the sun is a is a circular glyph and and the moon is like a section out of it representing right. the reflected light the mm. part of the sun definitely also a shape that we experience during an eclipse form uh, on both sides then there's the sign cancer we should talk a little bit about yeah. um, cancer you know if you look at the glyph for that it looks like they say breasts because it's the two right. two circles kind of right, but it also kind of gives you that feeling of sideways motion of the crab. Yeah, that too. or it looks like crab claws or crab too. claws yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that too, as well. And I think that the crab is kind of a good metaphor for the home or the house because it carries its house. You know, it is its yes. house. It's yeah. enclosed, protective exterior, squishy insides which is something that one can often observe in the cancer archetype. Yeah, the protective qualities. Yeah, maternal nourishing qualities as well. Comfort at being at home, creature comforts. But also that changeable mood thing. My daughter is a cancer and I've never experienced moods like that. <laughs> it's interesting because she's expresses those cancer qualities very, very completely. The sort of really caring for small animals, mm. you know, very, very tender and also very, very moody. And also that thing that, that crabs do 
and I'm speaking of people who are crabs, where they, you know, where when they're really upset, they just shut down and they don't let you in. You know, when she's very upset, she'll be like, I don't care. You know, there's no reasoning with a crab, right? It's either all there. Yes, or I, all I, not I there. know one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That's sort of like to protect those incredibly sensitive. My mom, <laughs> <laughs> sensitive psychic interior needs a really tough exterior, and if they're upset, they just go to their room, and and it's best not to disturb them. <laughs> mm. You don't want to poke the crab. Do not poke the crab. The other thing about crabs and cancers is that they do tend to, you know, I think it's symbolized by the claws. They can cling to -hmm. things, to to people, situations, you know, and not let go. (laughs) Histories. Mm-hmm. They tend to like things, oh, yes. with, things with long histories. You know what I mean? Yes. That, and um, and they have good memories. And, and, and tri- <laughs> tribal, they have a tribal like mm-hmm. sense that they they can be identified with their tribe. There's a sense of belonging. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. The other thing about the crab and the water that's interesting is that you know the crab is a shore creature. It lives between the water and the land in the shallows. And that place is always changing because mm-hmm. the tides go in and out. So the crab is always in the same place, but always moving. <laughs> going going with the tides, going That's with right. the flow. That's right. Yeah. So because if they stayed in one place, they would either be utterly submerged or other, utterly exposed. So they have to move along. Okay. Do you want to talk about goddesses and gods? Oh, yeah. There's lots so of- So many of them. They're all either feminine and beautiful or cruel seductresses or, you know, or, you know. <laughs> or male. There are some male There are a few, well. the man in the moon and yeah. <laughs> not a and, few others. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So we can talk a little bit about yeah. that. I have the uh, book of planetary magic, uh, Denning and Phillips here with some of the wonderful, that. glorious titles for the <laughs> deities of the moon. For Greek, we have, of course, Artemis, light giver, lady of lakes. Roamer of the wilds, sustenance of the life of the wilds, the most bountiful, the chaste one, the virgin huntress, she of the silver bow, sender forth of arrows of light, she who binds, the chastiser, (laughs) savior, afflictor, healer, among others. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about what those epithets convey is that The moon can be fortunate or unfortunate. It really depends on the condition. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mercury or Hermes has kind of a binary nature. The moon is kind of constantly moving along a spectrum, changing from one to the other. And um, you can't count on it to stay in one condition. Then we have Selene, queen of the night, brightness of night, the very manifest one. She who shines for all, opener of the gate. She who calls forth the reward of dreams. Mm. She who commands the rhythmic tides. And then we have Hakate, ruler of night, favorite of Zeus, granter of heart's desire, mighty in heaven, earth, and ocean, mother of enchantment, etc. Did that include the Isis figure anywhere in there? Not, not in that Not one. in that section, no. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's coming along or if they just... Maybe. Left her out. I'm surprised. No, hmm. they didn't include her. But F. Isis definitely. She's definitely. I have. Her, yeah. I have her on my personal list that I right. wrote down. Isis um, and Hathor, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hathor, um, Isis, Chandra, Diana, Chandra, yeah. Rhea, 
also Kansu, Tsukuyomi, which is the Japanese god of the moon. Babylonian, Sin, also known right. as Zuen or Nanar. Right. That's a masculine one, the lord of wisdom, the brother of the earth, the father of the sun. And under Hindu deities, they list Varuna, another masculine one, and Shiva, another masculine one. Shiva, really? Yeah, surprisingly. I would not have guessed that. I wouldn't have thought so either. I would have thought Mars, but... Yeah. I'm going to read the um, Picatrix invocation because it's really, really nice the way it sums up her qualities. May God bless you, O moon, you who are the blessed lady, fortunate, cold and moist, equitable and lovely. You are the chief and the key of all the other planets, swift in your motion, having light that shines, lady of happiness and joy, of good words, good reputation, and fortunate realms. You are a lover of the law and a contemplator of the things of this world, subtle in your contemplations. Joy, songs, and jests you take delight in and love. You are the lady of ambassadors and messengers and the concealer of secrets. Mm. Free and precious one, you are closer to us than the other planets. You are larger than all and most luminous. You are apt to good and evil. You join the planets together, you carry their light, and by your goodness you rectify all things. All the things of this world are adorned by your beauty and accursed by your curse. You are the beginning of all things and you are the end thereof. Mm. So there's that idea that not only is she, you know, good and evil, but also that she is the magical conveyor of all of the other planets. Right. That's like what I yeah. said, how she aspects everything more often than anything else aspects anything. Like she's yeah. connecting things, making these... Uh, she connects them laterally, but also if you look back to the medieval and Renaissance conception of the world, it was a concentric model, yeah. right? With And the moon was the innermost orb. So all of the other planets, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, had to basically go through the moon to work their effects on us. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you always want to petition the moon for any kind of work you want to do with any other planet mm -hmm. to make sure that she's okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Closer. There was something else in there too about, you know, made me think of her relationship with the public. Yes. Good reputation. Yeah. Yes. In the sense that she reflects the light of the sun, that's in the same way a reputation is just a reflection of the achievement that someone has. Of who created. you are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the real It's thing. not who you are, but it's a reflection of who you are. <laughs> right, right. And it's something that everybody sees. Mm -hmm. So that's the, you know, the public face and the fame and the reputation. Mm. And she's also, you know, has that particular relationship. It's really obvious, but with nighttime and with dreaming and with right. sleep and with divination by dreams. Yes. The gates yeah. of horn and ivory, but yeah. that's in the Pisces that's card. The Pisces but, card. Still, but still, it's worth a... mentioning, yep. you know, those attributes of the moon, even though, you know, um, the moon may not be in our system of the golden dawn, astrologically associated with the moon, it still has a lot of qualities mm -hmm. that are similar. I know I sure tend to dream a lot during certain moon phases. You know what's really interesting? I just read something in Picatrix that said that you should expect your dreams to be most efficacious when they fall, oh, maybe this was Agrippa, in the ninth house from the placement of your natal moon. Hmm. 
for me, that would be the ninth house because mine's in the first. No, your moon is in the first. Yes. Okay. The other, the other way they said is when it's nine houses away from full, which is a, a weird way of looking mm. at it. Um, but yeah, but we always pay attention to the condition of the moon, whether that is as by aspect, by phase, or by sign placement. I yeah. think, um, in terms of that whole reputation thing, it's supposed to be good to, you know, work with the full moon for when it's at its greatest light right. for fame and reputation. I've seen the moon described as the controller of destiny, which mm. sounds kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, because of the moon's just general power to affect things you want to, the general, I guess, rule of thumb is things you want to increase, you do waxing. during the waxing, right. and things you want to banish or decrease during the waning moon. And then don't do anything during the dark moon, <laughs> unless you're going to do dark magic. Right. <laughs> We could talk a little bit about the difference between the moon card and the priestess card as the moon. Yeah. Just a little. It's a kind of a wormhole, but. Yes, maybe we should. Yeah. I mean, I think with the moon card, we certainly look for the sort of non-reality side of um, mm. things, the dreams and fantasies, illusions, illusions yeah. the sort I've of... I've um, seen it described as the priestess card being, since it's up the middle path, it's like the pure aspiration towards uh, divinity. Well, the moon card, it's going, the path is going off. We'll talk about this in Kabbalah, mm -hmm. but it's going off the middle path. And it's so it's, mm. it's the animal soul heading off, you know, I think towards Netzach. Mm. And, and illusions of that sort. Des desires, yeah. you know, desires that come from your subconscious and things of that nature. Yeah. Whereas we look to the high priestess almost as a pure channel, um, as that sort of straight shot down the middle path, the connection between that we feel between the divine and the mundane without necessarily being able to express it. Right. Yeah. I once, this is funny. I was, uh, when I was first learning to do journeying, I was using the Edwin Steinbrecher inner guide meditation and I wanted to journey to the priestess. And I'd have to quit drinking for two weeks <laughs> to do that one. But I, uh, but I, I was trying to journey to the priestess and I kept getting these terrifying, you know, moonlit ocean monster journeys. Mm, and I like the Pisces card. I accidentally yeah. was, you know, I was the, the connection between the priestess and the moon was so strong in my mind that I just went straight to the moon. The moon <laughs> card, up, yeah. You know, playing with the moon card when I was not prepared you to do that. got sucked down Charybdis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, what is this bestiary of the sea that I've been dragged down into. So, um, so yeah, the next time I was very clear about specifically wanting the priestess, not the moon. But you know, that the, it's interesting, though, because, you know, to segue into that priestess card, the connection between the priestess and the moon has been consistent ever since esotericists started doing astrological assignation. And that is very unusual. Everything else has changed. You can see the placement of the cards is different. The planets that go with them is different. You know, the whether it's a sign or a planet, but with if you look at the even the continental tarots, if you go back to Papas, if you go back to Atea, it's always the priestess and the moon. 
And it's interesting that, you know, that's been an anchor within the major arcana. The only one. Kind of funny. It's like so constant for something so inconstant. <laughs> <laughs> right. The the high priest is generally, I think, you know, first of all, she's everybody's favorite card in tarot so often because, you know, she's someone who didn't have a quote unquote legitimate role in civilized society for so many centuries. You know, she always had sort of an outsider role as and someone who knows all the secrets. Someone who knows all the secrets. Exactly. Something that's very interesting that I was thinking about today on my way here, I was listening to Rune Soup and he did a solo show on spirit contact. And he was talking about the act of reading, which is something that I always associate with the high priestess because she always mm -hmm. has the scroll in the book. Yep. I've always associated her with those, you know, the four levels of scriptural interpretation, Lectio Divina or Pardes, which is which is the uh, version in Judaism. But the idea that you can receive the text and that that is a truer, you know, the, 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 the receiving of that meaning is an intimate act between you mm. and the author. The way that texts were once written, I just learned, was in what is known as scripto continuo. So there were no spaces between yeah, the words. So you would be saying it out loud and following it with your Flow. finger. Right. And interpreting it as you read it, it would be coming alive in your mind. Like as water. You read. Yes. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to having a single meaning that is separate and clear and understood because of the spaces between the words. Oh, and the other thing is that the words tracked and tracing and tracking are all, you know, those words that have to do with scripture and hunting mm. are all connected because you're hunting for meaning in the words. And that reminds me of the she role hunts of the by, enchant uh, by enchantment. Yes, she hunts by enchantment. <laughs> the Artemis and Diana figures, you know, hunting by moonlight, the idea that you're, you're tracing and tracking those meanings as they unfold from the text and that that's a secret conversation inside your heart mm -hmm. between you and the words. So to me, th that all ties into her qualities of quietness, of reading, of faith and intuition, um, as opposed to the received, you know, hierophant type um, knowledge where it's all written down and interpreted for you in this very received an apostolic way. All right. And the, and the last thing I wanted to say that was connected to that whole question of reading and interpretation was that the idea of rumination of chewing the cud is such a lunar thing, right? Yeah, because of that connection of Taurus. Yeah. The connection with the bull, you know, in every hymn or uh, invocation that we see, she's always associated with the, you know, the horn the horns, horns yeah. the bulls. So there's that idea that you literally chew over the material and extract its nutrients for yourself and your mind or your stomach to Which is ruled by the moon. Yeah. To, the stomach, to the belly and wisdom. the breasts. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the nutrition you take in and that which you put forth. <laughs> right. Um so high priestess yeah. or priestess. Yeah. Priestess and the chariot. I think in both versions of the priestess we really get that sense of kind of going deep into an archetypal world in the Rider Waite Smith. To mm. me, that's sort of expressed by those black and white pillars, the mm -hmm. sort of 
poles of force and form. And in the Thoth one, that sort of resonant vibration of the geometric rays that are, you know, cast over the card. It's interesting, too, the black and white pillars in the priestess and the black and white sphinx of the chariot speaks to the dark and light phases of the moon. Right, right, right. I think that's true. And, you know, a lot of people have objected to the Golden Dawn's attribution of cancer to the chariot, because why is this hard-charging warrior have something to do with this sort of maternal protective home body. But at the same time, you can really see in the iconography... Oh, cancers are fierce. Yeah. Yeah. There is a protective quality. And also that sort of... Mothers are fierce. The the very nature of the crab. Look at the armor on this warrior, you know? Mm -hmm. And like a mother, this is not the king, but the person who is most dedicated. It's the defender of the, the, defender. the grail. The, exactly. You know, the, the priestess is the cup and the grail bearer is the chariot. It's the, you know, the mother is the protector of the child. The chariot is the protector of the grail. And you know what's something that's so interesting that I never even really noticed till today is besides the fact that you have on the chariot and Rider Waite Smith, you have those uh, crescent epaulettes <laughs> yes. that are beneath supposedly Urim and Thumim, the, um, the faces on there, which are uh, really not what the divination tools Urim and Thumim look like at all. But anyway, that's what Waite says. Anyway, besides that, if you look at him and you look at the High Priestess card, if you look at his breastplate, they're sort of like those white and blue oh, yeah. effects, just yeah. like her sort of white there's, and blue There's a visual robe. symmetry there. Yeah, there really is. Even though and the square the on his chest and the cross, and the cross on her on chest, that's a, that's a hit right there. It is. And then look at the Fourfold symmetry cups. either way. You know, the same blue and white sort of ripple mm-hmm. effects on there. Queen mm-hmm. of Cups being, of course, the first two decans of Cancer ruled by the chariot and Cancer ruled by the moon, the high priestess. So there's there's definitely some resonances in there. And the chariot also holds those sort of sea and sky references that we mm-hmm. see referring to the waters of the moon. So there's definitely something going on there. Yeah, she's the one that brings down the water. She brings down the water. And then, yeah. And then uh, the chariot is, you know, the water crossing, being carried right. down the pillar. And in the um, Thoth priestess and chariot, we were say we see much more clearly what you were saying about the Grail conveyance, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you carry this precious um, fluid. Precious object, yeah. Precious, precious object. Um, this vessel, which is a, you know, really a sacred task. Two-in-one conveyed. Yeah, there's something about, you know, the background of the chariot in the Thoth deck that, you know, that has that same sort of vibrational qualities. Yes. You know, as the priestess card. Yep. It's like the, the, vib- the light vibrations or whatever yeah it's sort of like if you hit captain america's vibranium shield and it goes gong (laughs) but yeah there's a quality the the cup the Mm -hmm. um that the chariot's holding in the thought with its view you know looking into the cup it kind of almost looks like it could be like the full moon whereas he's seated on a crescent moon so it's got both phases right and then we have also the same sort of polarities with his 
um, four beasts pulling the chariot that we do with the Sphinx in the Rider Waite Smith chariot, that sort of white and black, new moon, full moon kind of thing going on. Yeah. But the other thing is that besides the sort of protective qualities of the chariot, I also think that, you know, so often we think of the chariot as a car, you know, and the moon is the one that speeds across the sky. So, you know, it has that quality of motion as well. They're both, in a sense, in rushes of water, too. You know, the chariot being cardinal water, it's Mm -hmm. the first introduction of the element of water. Right, and we'll see that. the priestess is also like an inrush of water into above to below. Just from the placement of the chariot on the tree, we have the inrush of water from the from Bina to Givora, and then it will continue in the hangman from Givora to mm-hmm. Hod. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all water down that pillar. It's all water all the time. <laughs> water across the desert of the abyss. I often read into the chariot that sort of protection of the mood thing, you know, the idea that even though you may feel your moods may be changing and shifting, and you may feel terrible, you may may feel great, you carry your armor on the outside, so that you can present a consistent face to the world. You know, and that's something that I see in the chariot as well. It does seem to also convey the cancer idea of the home in the sense that these chariots are not terribly mobile looking. (laughs) It's a mobile home. <laughs> right. I think we mentioned it before, but, you know, that name of the chariot, Child of the Powers of the Waters. Where the water yeah. has many powers. Right. <laughs> and it's, you know, the chariot's job to bring that down across the abyss to our own world, uh, into the world of Bria, actually, the world of water. Uh, and the Lord of the Triumph of Light you know, that makes mm. you think of the way the moon waxes and wanes, but always returns. Yes, always, always returns to its fullness. As well as having probably a Christian connotation as well, the triumph of light, you know, by carrying the grail, it ensures the continuity of our salvation or redemption. So what should we do next? The um, yeah. the cards of cancer or cards the cards of, cancer. of the deacons? Cards, okay. cards of cancer, I think. So two, three, and four of cups. Yeah. So that's how cardinal water manifests is to, through the two, three, and four of cups, love, abundance, and luxury or blended pleasure. Yeah. And when I think of this, I, I think of the maternal sort of cycles because when we did the I two, three, and four of cups, cards. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of like we talked about, you know, the, the fertilization, uh, um, the quickening. And um, then, and, and then, then the, the womb that womb. can eventually grows right. too small. <laughs> right. The outgrowing the womb. The enclosure in yeah. the four of cups for sure. Both the protectiveness, but also the it's time to get out uh, qualities of that. You've yeah. ripened. Yeah. And there's no more room and you feel full all the time. <laughs> Particularly in thought, they come across as all, you know, very positive cards. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a sense of um, emotional, uh, emotional protection, freedom within them. Although there's some instability indicated in the four with Mm -hmm. the um, overflowing, tipsy overflowing cups. Right. And the same thing in Rider Waite Smith, the idea that I don't even need this cup that you're giving me. I'm, (laughs) I'm not even interested. That four of cups, that final decan of cancer belongs to the Prince of Wands. I think, yeah, Prince of Wands, who is very much on the move. Yeah. You know, yeah, trying to, definitely. having been contained for so long now, wants to express himself 
you know, his individuality as a first two decans of Leo and final decan of Cancer. I was trying to sort of um, assign some of the the traditional uh, decan imagery of the moon to these these uh, of Cancer to these two, three, and four. And uh, the two is supposed to convey subtlety of wit um, and the love of men um, in the first decan of Cancer. And the second decan, mirth and the love of women. And then the final one, hunting and, you know, skill. There's probably, there's a lot more than that, but those were sort of the things that I sort of took out of it. The idea that, yeah, running, riding, and hunting. Oh, this is the one that has the selhave, the oh, turtle yes, in it. The yeah. tortoise, the famous, yeah, yeah, yeah. the famous turtle yes. or tortoise or whatever with a snake. An acquisition by means of war, lawsuits, and conflict. So there's sort of like the accumulation of more and more and more uh, in this card mm-hmm. to the point where you that really need to move on. Yep. Yeah. Tabula Mundi I have in the two, I have... Two phases of the moon and the three, mm-hmm. three, and the four, all four. I love that. And that kind of speaks to that progression where the two is the polarity, you know, the connection mm-hmm. between two opposites that that meet and merge. And then the three, all the light phases, the abundance. Mm-hmm. And then the four where it's complete. Has right. Enough. And has to begin again. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, maybe we can go to the Deccan cards. Yeah. Yeah. How does the moon express itself through the Deccans? The first one, of course, is, um, is, uh, success in the six of discs or pentacles. The exaltation degree is not here, but is it in the five? Yeah, it's, in the, it's five, in the five, but yeah, but here's where it really expresses itself being right. in the middle pillar. Right. And also um, exaltation is often considered to be sign, of the sign. Yes. Yeah. 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 So here we see that sort of moment of perfection, uh, where, all the moon is fortunate, <laughs> exalted. Yeah, if we think of the moon as being, you know, expressive and personality and emotion, here's the moon is, uh, you know, it's the loving the good life and harmony yeah. and yeah, and feeling the, good. <laughs> traditionally, the moon is also really associated with riches and wealth. It's one of the things you can ask the moon for magically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this would be the card where we see that you know, petitioning for wealth. And you also see, I think, like there's a sense of that card as being sort of, you know, fullness, the full moon, which kind of speaks a little bit to the sexy side of the six. The sexy six, <laughs> Those are, for sure. You think of full yeah. moon as romance and, you know. Well, that's interesting, the idea of the full moon as the six, because it's the six, of course, is the sun. So for it to be full moon, Opposition. it must be opposite the right. sun. Yep. Right, right. And it, that's almost the powers of the moon that are creative and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. fecundity and fertility and, um, and visibility. Pro- procreation. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And visibility. Yeah. The full, mm-hmm. the fullness of the moon. Yeah. I think the, that fame is probably, um, expressed in this card more than the other minors. Yeah. Cause you could look at fame as material success. Absolutely. So often people do. <laughs> and, I'm just looking at the Rider-Waite-Smith six of pentacles with that scale. Mm-hmm. And you could almost say when the sun and the moon are equal in light, you know, yep. when they're balanced up, up opposite yep. each other. That would make sense, the, the being in the six, the, the idea of balance mm-hmm. and harmony. And then in the four 
of cups. Well, we talked a lot about that sort of outgrowing the right. <laughs> the womb. Right. But also, I think that you know because that's the card that's ruled by the moon and it's Cancer, so it's doubly doubly so the moon. Yeah, absolutely. The Deccan's ruled by the moon and the sign. In other words. I think of this as also um, having to do with the tides. Totally. You know, the tidal the fullness aspect of, of tide, the, the high mm-hmm. tide, the, the uh, overflow. You know, the moon was originally associated with moves and changes of station. Dissatisfaction with the status quo could be read into there. More so in the Rider-Waite-Smith one than the Thoth one, but you definitely see that need to move on. Uh, the forming and breaking of habits. Mm-hmm. you know, can be implied by that. And the home, I suppose, tending the home. And the idea of four. four being some sort of completion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a pause on the way to the disruptions of the five. And we don't have a lunar five. We don't have a decan that the moon rules as a five. So that would be interesting and probably pretty terrible. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Uh, and then we have the Two of Swords, which is the only Rider-Waite-Smith card where we actually have the moon explicitly illustrated. Of course, on the Thoth card, we have moons on everyone because it's always the astrological mm-hmm. Deccan ruler is always represented. But uh, here we have a waxing northern hemisphere crescent moon. Yeah. And that's really the the idea of the polarity again. Like mm-hmm. the two phases of the moon that balance each other. The idea of that card, you know, peace restored implies that there's some sort of equilibrium or diplomacy going on. Yes, yes. And I think both in the Thoth card and the Rider Wade Smith card, you see sort of a meditative state, a, a state of mental peace almost. Uh, where your sort of whatever ego agenda is set aside for the moment and you are able to have a kind of balance of mind that feels like peace, like you're equally posed between two different ideas. I also think of that specifically the Two of Swords as the little priestess because in Rider-Waite-Smith, she has some pretty close symmetry and iconography Mm. um, references to the high priestess card. And to justice. And to justice as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, she has the blindfold where justice does not. The Libra part of it. Right. In Rider-Waite-Smith. Well, indeed, with justice, you expect sword and blindfold and, uh, and scales, but we don't have the scales in this one. But we do have balance. But we do have balance. You know, we see peace really very clearly in the Thoth card, you know, and it it also has those Venusian colors that convey Mm -hmm. peace. But in the Rider-Waite-Smith, it's more uneasy. You know, there's that turbulent water in the background. So whereas... And the tension of holding up those swords. Yeah. That reminds me in the Rider-Waite-Smith of the dream state, whereas the the Thoth one kind of makes me think of insights that might arise in meditation out of that stillness Mm -hmm. and calmness. But both are sort of that... Um, non-ordinary state of reality that you can get into um, with moon-ruled cards. And of course, there's always the idea that it's going to change. It's mm-hmm. peace restored, but it's also peace for how long, you know? Right. 
depending on which way you're going on the I tree. With all these with all these moon cards, it's always like, and it won't last, and it won't last, and, it and won't no last. matter whether it's good or bad, it's and it won't last. It's like exactly. the, the weather with the moon. You know, it's just gonna keep changing. It's gonna change no matter what. The nine of swords. Sorry, nine of wands. Getting a little tired here. This, this one is, is where the your natal decan. Yeah, yep. Yeah. My son. This is my sun sign is in this decan. To me, there's. There's something in this card that strength comes through the connection with the wild in some way. You know, there's like, there's that part of the moon that allows you to connect with, with non-domesticated and, yeah. things, yep. right? And, you know, even the, the green fuse, even, yeah, even the, the figure of Sagittarius is a combination of the wild and the domestic. There's a sense of freedom, that sign of not being bound by, um, by the home in the way cancer would be. So, and, and the strength that comes through that. And I also think that there's a memory and instinct in this card as well. Mm -hmm. In the Rider Waite Smith card, you get a sense of someone who's been through a lot of experiences and has learned from them, maybe in, you know, not to his benefit, perhaps. Mm. But the idea that you learn from the past and act accordingly in the future. There's also like something about the capacity for movement. Yeah. Both my card in Tabula Mundi and the Thoth card show arrows and the the, the fact that the arrows have this capacity to move forward towards a goal. Yeah, yeah. I think that hunting, the hunting aspect of the moon, mm -hmm. of those moon goddesses like Artemis Diana, is definitely represented in this card specifically. And the idea of the bow that launches the arrow, it's through flexibility, it's strength to draw that bow, it's strength and flexibility that releases that. Right. arrow towards its goal. Plus the fact that it has Kabbalistic dignity as a nine, because nine, of course, is the number of the moon as the Sephira Yesod. So this is a particularly strong placement. And then finally, we have the seven of swords, moon in Aquarius, also the, the actual placement of my moon. The sign of my moon, but not the actual placement. You're in the six of swords. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it is you know, the card of futility. I know. think futility, it's a, I particularly don't like the word for, right. for this card because right. I, I prefer to think of the original Golden Dawn title as um, an unstable effort because that gives you more of the sense that you can change it and you, you have some agency and you can be more cunning. And it's flexibility as an advantage. Really. Yeah, that, yeah, whereas futility kind of says, don't even try. Right, right, it's pointless. <laughs> Or, and, and also. But maybe that points to the attitude you shouldn't have, you know, like that's mm. the problem with this deck and is you might take that tack. I think that some of the more negative keywords of thought are like that. They point to the danger of the right. card, you know, the, right. the, the, the possible risk that you run in that energy. But, you know, what's interesting about this, what I call the card of the divided mind is that, yes, pointlessness can happen. Distraction can definitely happen. Vacillation can happen. All of this, those things. But it's resourceful. And it also takes advantage of the fact that things may not be as they seem. So this is where I think the illusions and glamour of the moon mm -hmm. play a role. Right. The ability to project something, a truth or an image that is to your advantage, which may not be based in reality. And I think of that with the Odysseus card. I sometimes think of it, his ability to, to pretend 
in a way that mm. furthered his own a word agenda. I think of with discarded, which is disenchantment. Mm. And if you think of the, what that mm. actually means, you know, to lose your enchantment, you know, you were under some sort of spell and yeah. to become disenchanted and then have to deal with the new reality of whatever it is going on and right. be more cunning and clever in how you adapt to the conflict. Having to be pragmatic in a way and resourceful. So there's these questions of, of image and of glamour or illusion. There's this, uh, the futility and distraction. But there's also, I think, if there's going to be lunacy in any of these minor cards, it's probably going to be in here. <laughs> yeah. That's why That's why in mine I put the uh, lunar eclipse, because yeah. that's usually the phase of things go cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, it's a little nuts. You know, and the lunacy also fits in there to me because this is a very shamanistic card, mm-hmm. the ability to change shape. And, Just like the moon. Right. And that appears, you know, irrational. That appears like lunacy when we see it. I think we're too um, Kabbalah or Yisod yeah. in the sense of Kabbalah. Ka- um, Yisod, yeah. Mm-hmm. And paths. Paths. Uh, yeah. So, of course, the biggest path of all is the priestess's path. Ah, yes. The, the highest uh, aspiration, the high holy. The Keter to Tiferet, the crossing of the abyss on the camel with its reservoir of water and spirit within it. The ultimate of light and darkness. Exactly. As well as, you know, that can also be the passage between the above world and the below world. Or from the heart to God. Right. And passing through what you cannot ever express. That is why this card is secret and silent. I think secrecy is in the Seven of Swords, too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But I think the secrecy of the High Priestess, it's not that she's withholding something from you. It's that it's something that cannot be said. The wisdom or the knowledge she's received is something that can only be known personally. It can't be communicated. If it were communicable, it would be the Hierophant's job, not hers. She's just the veil. Yeah. The conversation happens between you and divinity. So there's her path. And then we've talked about a little bit about the path from Bina to Givora. Which gives the chariot its martial qualities. And it's all, sometimes it can be quite an ordeal, um, experiencing the chariot. Mm-hmm. You know, it requires real w- willpower sometimes to get. Yeah, willpower is a good word for the chariot, I yeah. think. Yeah, there's always that need to harness the forces that are <laughs> pulling in opposite directions in order to accomplish the thing, to accomplish your will. It's a very interesting combination of forces. I think the chariot, you know, mm-hmm. the the martial, the lunar, the watery, the cancerian, the givora forces. Certainly it's a place that takes strong will to master. Right. And then of course, but the place of the moon is Yesod. The mm-hmm. sephira of the moon is Yesod foundation and it's one of the most interesting sphere. It really it? is. And we haven't talked much about magic, but that's where magic happens. Right. You know, the idea that Yesod is what underlies the reality we perceive. And Out of all the Sephirot, I mm-hmm. kind of tend to, I don't know, there's something about this one I just like. Maybe just because mm-hmm. I love my uh, <laughs> dreamy uh, astral illusion or whatever, mm-hmm. but I do, I do mm-hmm. like it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's something very powerful about that placement. And if you look at the different Treasure House of Images. Yes, that's right. Treasure House of Images. Yeah, Gordon was saying on Rune Soup something about how the image or spirit of 
for example, an animal that you may see is no different from the real, quote unquote, real, that the imaginal uh, spirit that you contact has a reality that's no less substantial than the one in the ordinary world. And I think that's the nature of Yasod. It's like if it is the place of spirit contact. And if you experience something in Yasod, then it reflects below into the real yes. world. So those two are the same. And you cannot understand that they're the same unless you're in that realm, in the astral realm of Yasod. It's a really potent place. It is. If you just look at the nines of tarot. In yeah, general, they're the ultimate, like penultimate before mm-hmm. it begins to totally decay yeah. in the 10. <laughs> yeah, they are the place where it's, um, the fruition. maximum potency. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. you think about, you know, the, the nine of wands, as we've said, you know, that's a place, it's a place of strength because of that dignity with the moon, the ability to happiness, you know, the Mm -hmm. ultimate fruition of emotion. (laughs) Right. Because there's a quality of anticipating about it as well, because once you're there, it can only go downhill from here. Yeah, exactly. um, You know, what what do they say about vacations? You have the most fun planning it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And or like when absolutely we were talking about gardening and the disappointments of gardening the best garden is the garden in february in your mind <laughs> or at least yeah. in, when you first get it planted before the weeds take uh, over and yeah. you're like this is great look at this exactly and, and by then, august you're like oh no <laughs> and similarly the nine of swords you know is that maximum despair that maximum feeling that nothing will ever be better Whereas the 10 is sort of like, well, you're too exhausted to even feel that, you know, right. you're, you, you are past Wait the new dawn, right, right, <laughs> right. You're past caring and past acting. And then the nine of discs, of course, is that sort of it's gain. It's literally on the increase. Whereas by the time you get to the 10, you got to give it away again. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or it's like the fruit at the peak of ripeness when you want to eat it, not when it's decaying and nourishing the seed within and planting another. Yeah. So yeah, it is like this incredibly magical place. And And the moon's like that. Where it's, where it's positioned too on the tree, you know, being the connection to Malkut, it's like the link between heaven and earth. So I think when we work with the moon magically, I think it has that power because of its changeability. It's like, you know, it's the carrier of things into the next phase, whatever whatever that may be. Yeah, the moon almost stands in for whatever it is that you're doing. If you want to make more of it, the moon growing to folds signifies the completion and fullness and perfection of what you're doing. And if you want to get rid of it, the shrinking moon signifies its disappearance. The magical weapons around the moon are interesting too. So for Isode, it's perfumes and sandals, which is really interesting because, you know, perfumes, okay, I can see that being like a link between heaven and earth, you know, the, the incense that, ri- the incense is the earth, the rises materia up. that mm-hmm. rises up with your prayers up mm-hmm. to, up to heaven, you know, or this, the spiritual. And then the sandals, like the ankh, it's the symbol of going to go, which is what gods do. <laughs> they, yeah. they go. <laughs> well, I'm remembering something that we may have covered in the world episode. One of the sort of divine and divine archetypes of the feminine that we see connected with the priestess card is the Shekinah, the feminine spirit of God. And I believe that there was an angel of, maybe it was Yesod that held up the Shekinah 
the feet of the Shekinah on their back. I don't know. That's just something about sandals, feet, mm. foundation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the idea that yep. this is the basis for whatever grows from it. If you combine those with the, the weapons of the moon as priestess, bow and arrow. Right. Okay, obviously. obviously. Pretty yeah. obviously. And then yeah. if you look at the moon card, Pisces, mm-hmm. they, as interesting ones, you can see. The resonances there. Yeah. yeah. The, and there's a, the, the twilight of the place mm-hmm. and the magic mirror. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, huh? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And also the, um, some of the materia associated of the moon with the moon have either a clear quality or a translucent or mm-hmm. op- milky white quality. So yep. whether it's glass and like new moon, you know, you can see right through it or whether it's got that sort of like um, milky, Capacity, yeah. it captures light, but in a way that's not exact, it's not clear, it's clouding and it's nebulous. Nebulous, exactly. I kind of think of that as more the moon card than mm-hmm. the priestess card, mm. but that's probably because of Pisces. You know, I always think of the word nebulous as having something to do with Neptune, you mm. know, the modern ruler of Pisces. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And historically, if we look at that color chart, you know, the moon was pretty much associated white with a lot white. of times. Yeah. yeah. There's some Definitely. black, but mostly white. There's a little bit of green in there as well, but. For the most part, the, the moon is called white, uh, Levana, and it's also considered pure at mm-hmm. some level. Years ago, I took this, I guess it was a workshop. I don't know. It was a one day thing, but it was oriented around Wicca and witchcraft and your psychic, developing your psychic powers. That and sounds like one fun. Of, one of the things, the exercises that they had, they had everyone do in the workshop is they blindfolded you and then they handed you an object and you had to describe it while wearing a blindfold. I got this object and it, it was a feather and it was, it was wrapped in stuff. And mm-hmm. they, so they asked me what color it was and I touched the thing it was wrapped with and I said it was like tannish brown and I was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I touched the feather and they asked what color it was and I said white and they said no. And then I said, no, it's cooler than that. And they said yes. And I said it's black and it was weird. And then. They told me after that the feather had been charged. Oh, oh, and then they asked me, how does it make you feel? And I said, laughter was the first mm-hmm. thing I thought of. But then they told me afterwards was that the, they had charged the feather under the light of the full moon. Hmm. And so that so white feeling, the white feeling that yeah. first I got the color right of the wrapping. It was tan. Yeah. I got it right on the first shot and then I got white for the color of it. But then I knew it was black when it wasn't white. And it was a black feather that had been charged under a full moon. Oh, and then laughter, the only thing, like that seems very solemn. But when mm-hmm. I think of the moon and the lunacy and the laughter, well, like, yes. you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I think I got it spot on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the third deck and sorry, the second decan of cancer is associated with mirth. Yeah. I don't know. That was really interesting to know. But that's something yeah. I've always been kind of good at is I can tell colors with touch. That's amazing. Not always, obviously, yeah. but I'm pretty good at telling you if it's warm or a cool color or like mm. with my eyes closed. So that's cool. Weird, huh? <laughs> it is. It is. That's neat. So that reminds me that we never talked about the double letter attributions. Uh, double letter has double attributions of peace and war for the letter Gimel. Well, we've got the Deccan of Peace in there. Yeah, that I really understand. I'm not sure I really understand about war. 
Well, you know, a lot well, of... Well, there's the martial qualities of the chariot. There's the martial qualities of the chariot, and a lot of these goddesses do have their dark side. They do. Yes, and in a sense, you can think of, like, madness mm-hmm. as a form of the mind's war on itself. So maybe some of the correspondences, yeah, correspondences. we can do in the... Oh, um... Yeah, some of the correspondences of Isode and, um... Likewise, of other things. Yeah, I think you did the weapon, and you did. Oh, did you do vice oh, and virtue? You no, know, the uh, so the virtue of Isode is independence, and the vice is idleness. <laughs> That's okay. interesting. Oh, here's something interesting. It's called the Ark. Which What's makes called sense. the Ark? Isode. It's really? Sometimes called the Ark. Hmm. Hmm. No kidding. That makes sense because it's part of Keshet. The Grail thing, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Kind of makes me think of the cup and the Grail, the Ark. It's kind of similar. It's an enclosure mm. kind of thing. And then we've got some uh, deities of Isode. We've got Shu, supporter and lord of the firmament. Hermanubis, lord of the threshold, mm. the link between the rock and the nefesh. Uh, Zeus as god of air. Diana and a god called Terminus of the boundary. Like, no kidding. Sort of like Anubis, hmm. the the boundary guardian. Terminus. Are those from seven seven seven? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Another thing I found interesting um, when you look at the the drugs of the moon card, narcotics. Is that's it? the moon card, narcotics. Oh, okay. Yes, the moon card is narcotics, but the priestess card is um, amenagogues. Amenagogues. You should probably give the definition. For those who are oh, not those familiar. Are, those are plants such as pennyroyal that bring on menstruation. So the powers of Isode, I have the, the vision of the machinery of the universe, which I love. Oh, Isn't yeah. that awesome? Yeah. It's like it's like that thing that we've talked about before about magic being being behind, yeah. the, behind the stage or behind yeah, the, the screen. Yeah, the backstage of reality. Yeah, like yeah. I am the gods, the great and powerful. <laughs> <laughs> not look at that man behind the curtain. <laughs> um, the white tincture. Mm-hmm. clairvoyance and divination by dreams yes um i have that too from 777 right yep. also said to rule over the lymphatic system mm-hmm. that makes total sense that it's the mm-hmm. fluids of the body right right as well as the waters of the world all moist things mm-hmm. and interestingly i think all leafy things so when you look at plants it's always lettuces cabbages as well as you know round things like pumpkins and potatoes cabbages are round and they're full of water right yeah and i think it's sort of like because of the water it's the leaves that carry the water melons are very lunar for sure for sure anything round really anything round and water bearing is going to be um, associated with the moon. As far as animals go, um, domestic animals. Mm, that makes so, sense, the, the connection with the home. Right, yep. right. Um, as well Probably as... Probably dogs. Animals, yes, for sure. And animals whose horns turn inward. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as, um, oh, there's a lot of connections with geese. Uh, watery fowl, but particularly geese. So, uh, let me see if I can find some of these fumigations and stuff because they're, they're pretty great. So this is from Agrippa chapter, um, I guess 44 of the first book. It's, it's pretty great. It's very lunar. So this is a fumigation you can make if you like. If you like. <laughs> For the moon, <laughs> we make a fumigation of the head of a frog dried, the eyes of a bull. I don't think I'll be doing that anytime (laughs) soon. The seed of white poppy. So those three are very lunar, frog, bull, and poppy. 
totally mm-hmm. lunar. Totally. Frankincense and camphor, also hmm. lunar. Camphor is lunar. Frankincense, well. And you know what they must be incorporated with? Semen? Menstruous blood or the blood of a goose. <laughs> Whichever is easier for you. <laughs> So, you know, oh, there, some of those there you things, man. You know, well, the thing is that, like, I've, I've asked this many times of practically every magician I know. It's like, what do you do, you know, when you read this stuff? Because people work with Picatrix, people work with Agrippa, and, you know, paper dolls. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you use the, the plants, the plants that well, are Well, yeah, the plants, if you yeah. can get them, are easy. But yeah. you're not going to go slaughtering right. black cocks or whatever, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, I suppose if you're in, if you're doing, the you know, of a Santeria and- anyway, then that's probably going to work pretty well for you because you're used to it. But you know, you're not going to do that. And I guess the question is like, is your magic less effective because of it? I mean, there's no doubt that in in all the theories, the releasing of a life, you know, releases great energy. I tend to think that, you know, as a magician, you probably have to have some other source of energy. You know, maybe you have a, a sphere and sundry product from Kate Kopik, you know, that has been charged at the exact electional moment or a talisman from Tony Mack or, you know, or something that has tremendous energy behind it. It doesn't have to be fox brains. <laughs> Good thing. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you have to have the magician's intention has to be there, the timing has to be right, and so on and so forth. But in general, when we read these natural correspondences, it gives you an idea of the vocabulary and sort of the um, correspondence world that goes with that planet. So whether you're dreaming about these things or whether you're observing them out in nature, that gives you a sense that that planet is communicating with you in some way. I think rather than, you know, go out and harvest the eye of a bull or whatever the <laughs> hell it's asking for, you know, you could just visualize that. Yeah, yeah. Do it in the astral. You know, as long as you have kill good- the, Kill the rabbit in the astral. Kill don't the don't, go, don't well, go kill the rabbit in the- I mean, since it's the same, right? Right. It's the same. And if you have the, you know, metal or plant materia to go with it in the real world, Mm -hmm. surely that should be enough. I would think so. I don't know. I find this kind of stuff theoretically fascinating. And I'm always interested in talking to more practitioners about what they do specifically. But of course, much of what people do is shrouded in secrecy. But I don't think many people are harvesting the heart of a white snake. No, but I wouldn't be surprised if the, someone's ma- doing unless it. Unless it's the, the, the album. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> oh, sorry. Populus is... Populus ah, the and geomantic, via, the geomantic, yeah. yeah the, so the geomantic figures um, for Isode are both associated with the sign cancer. Populus meaning the people... So again, mm-hmm. tying in that connection of the moon Fame with also. with the people, yeah. the yeah. Um, your public image, the people, mm-hmm. um, and then via the way, which also seems very Cancerian in the chariot. You know, the way to the, the travel, the road, exactly the chariot, the sense of the, motion that the chariot travels. You know, with populace, I'm also thinking of sort of like. The mob mentality, like if you've ever oh, been yeah. in a huge mass consciousness event, yeah. that the moon has to do with that. For sure. You, you always get the feeling like at a big concert or a big 
parade or something that something bigger than you is taking place and it has a form of its own it has mm-hmm. an intelligence of its own that is not any one person's but is sort of an egregore. hive mind yeah hive mind or egregore yeah it's another good word for isode yes yes for sure yeah. sense associated besides camphor myrrh jasmine all sweet and virginal odors. I really wonder what Crowley meant by that. Yeah. <laughs> what did he think was a virginal odor? Baby powder. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as virginal as you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I think about like the, it's interesting, the, um, the, the scents associated with the moon, like camphor and eucalyptus and myrrh are all quite strong, but they do have that sort of almost non-organic quality, almost clinical, you know, yeah. sterile quality to them. Yeah. And I guess that's... I guess that's... that's for, maybe that's virginal, but it's not sweet. Right. Jasmine no. is sweet. Jasmine is sweet. Jasmine is extremely organic smelling. Yeah. Well, it's literally, you know, the indoles. So it's mm-hmm. shitty smelling. Yes. <laughs> but in a good way. But in a good way. In a way that we love. Hazels, pomegranate, coconut, gardenia, mushrooms, poppy. Yeah. Lilies? Yes, yeah, I would. I would guess lilies. lilies. They're very have that lotus kind of cotton, <laughs> and then for the metals we have like, well, silver of course is silver is the lunar metal as gold is the solar one, and then you have uh, moonstone, pearl, crystal, chalcedony, and selenites. I'm looking at that huge chunk of selenite behind you. I've been looking at it all afternoon. That <laughs> is enormous. <laughs> is it a light or is it yeah, just... Yeah, it's, it's hollowed out. You can put a light inside yeah, of it. Yeah, we have one at the shop too that I use all the time. And yeah. selenite, the name even, of Selene. Of course, is from yep. Selene. I think that wraps it up. We are concluding the moon episode and we have waned down to our darkest point at this point and are in need of uh, watery replenishment. <laughs> And um, we hope that you have enjoyed this uh, journey with our nocturnal luminary. And we will be back next time with the cards of Mercury. See you then. The thrice great. The thrice great. All right.